Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 8. We'll be looking at the last two verses in that chapter today. Ezra chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you today in our most solemn responsibility. We stand before you in worship. We approach you not in our own worthiness. We approach you in the worthiness of Christ. But we nonetheless are responsible as we stand before you. God, let our worship be pure and unmixed. Let our worship focus completely on you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're told in this passage that the first act for the entire group of returning exiles when they got back to Jerusalem was to worship God in His temple the way He had commanded worship. Yes, the 24 priests and Levites delivered the treasures that they had been carrying for all these months to the priests in the temple. But for the majority of those who returned with Ezra, this was their first act. They had gotten settled in over the course of three days. On the fourth day, the priests and the Levites turned in their treasures. And then right after that, they had a worship. Today, as we look at this passage, we would all do well to remember that the worship of the Almighty God is our most fundamental act. It's the purpose for which we were created. We look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and we see God walking with man. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God is right there with man. And after God made woman from man's rib, we are told in this 22nd verse, the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. Everything in these first chapters of Genesis, where we are given God's view of creation, shows the close communion between Himself and man that He had created. And that communion was exactly what He had created man for. So much so that even after Adam sinned and ate from the forbidden tree, we are told in Genesis 3.8 that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And after Adam's great sin condemned all mankind and shut us up under sin, God planned His redemption of us to restore us in our relationship with Him. He wanted to restore our fellowship, our worship of Him. 
Now for these people in Ezra's time, returning from 130 years of exile, that's their entire lifetime, the entire lifetime of their parents, and possibly the entire lifetime of their grandparents. The worship of God was the most important purpose that they saw in returning to the land of Israel. In Babylon, in the captivity, it simply wasn't possible to worship God properly. It wasn't possible to worship God in the way that He had commanded. In Lamentations 5, beginning in verse 15, we see the grief of the people in their loss of their access to God through worship. It says, The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate. They mourned the loss of the access to God through the temple, through worship. And we even see in Psalm 137, it's a more familiar psalm of these who have been carried off in captivity that begins by the waters of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there were hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, and let my right hand forget its skill, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The thing they missed the most was the temple, was the worship. Recall that God's people were carried off though into into captivity because they had forsaken the proper and exclusive worship of God. We hear the indictment on the nation of Israel all over the prophets. But if we look in 2 Kings chapter 17 beginning in verse 9, we see that the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns. From watchtower to fortified city, they set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Those high places that the writer speaks of are makeshift altars that were built outside Jerusalem that dotted the hilltops. The disobedient people of Israel, of Judah, had this in common. They thought they could worship God any way they saw fit. And God carried them off into captivity. They didn't realize what they had in the temple. They didn't realize the access they had to God through the way that He had provided. They wanted to accomplish that access 
their own way. We have a lot of people in our churches today who think that as well, who think that God will take whatever I want to give Him, however I want to give it. Did you ever hear anyone say this? I can worship God as well in my bedroom as I can in a church. If the person who is saying that is trying to explain to you why he refuses to join with God's church and worship on a regular basis, I am quite sure he is not worshiping in his bedroom any more than he is worshiping with God's people. It is true that private devotion, prayer, and even worship are essential to the growing follower of Jesus Christ. But so also is the encouragement, the fellowship, the generosity, the accountability, and the obedience of worshiping alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I mentioned generosity in that list, recalling the spiritual gifts and opportunities that you have been given for the building up of one another as we talked about a few weeks ago. It is simply selfish to remove yourself from God's people. The bottom line in worship is that we cannot define how to come to God. He defines how we come to Him acceptably. Worship of our holy God is not just a matter of bringing to Him any old thing we like in any way we like. Like when you hurriedly drew a picture on a piece of paper to give it to your grandmother for a Christmas gift. Anybody ever do that in here? On your way to grandma's, sitting in the back of the car, quickly drawing a card for her. That might work when you're two. When you're an adult, it simply shows how little you care and how selfish you are. Worship demands preparation. Verse 35 in our passage today describes the offering that the exiles brought on behalf of themselves and on behalf of those who had sent offerings with them. It says, At that time, those who came from captivity, the returned exiles, brought burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. The gold and the silver that those priests and the Levites had carried over these 900 miles had been intended for that very purpose. The king had told them in Ezra 7.17 that with that money, therefore, you shall diligently buy bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And not only the royal offerings, but the individual offerings to be made would have to be procured as well. We're not told specifically about those because Ezra is primarily concerned with the offerings that were being made on behalf of the entire nation. And that is why we see the number 12, the multiples of 12, so many times in this. 12 bulls for 12 tribes of Israel. 96 rams and then 12 goats for a sin offering. 
This is not the first time even in Ezra that we have seen this. When the rebuilt temple was dedicated in 516 B.C., we see in Ezra 6.17, as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats were offered according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Worship requires preparation. Do we prepare to come and meet our God? Or is this simply something we wake up and do before the next football game? Or before the next activity? Or before we go to work the next day? Is worship something that we fit into our schedule? Or is worship the point of our schedule? Worship requires cost. Not only does it require preparation, it requires cost. The end of verse 35 describes these offerings, and it says, All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. Most of us today don't have a detailed knowledge of all the kinds of offerings that could be made at the temple. But I will tell you that normally these offerings would be partially burned and partially eaten by the worshiper. Eaten at church has a long and valued history. Others would be prepared to provide for the priests and the Levites of the temple. But the offerings of this day, they were called whole burnt offerings. You get the idea. Everything was given to God. Nothing was held back for the worshiper. Everything was placed into the worship of God. Worship is not about what you get out of it. Worship is about what you offer to Him. When I say that true worship has always, and even today, has had a cost, most people's minds race to two things. Offerings, money, and time. But I tell you that I mean neither of those things today. The true cost that we are called to bear is neither of those. Now, yes, it is true that we're supposed to support the mission of the local church with our resources. Absolutely. And it can even be said that coming to worship costs us at least an hour a week. But if those are your only two costs, you're making a paltry offering. The biggest cost, if you are truly worshiping, is devotion. And that is, I believe, what made the offering of Cain unacceptable. You remember... In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. But the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain 
came to God, but he did not come in full devotion. I am aware that some people interpret that fruit of the ground to mean that Cain just brought an inferior offering, that he came and picked up whatever he had. I'm not even sure that the verse bears that out. Because the fruit of the ground simply means something that grew out of the ground and Cain was a farmer. He brought what he had. But the problem with Cain's offering was not what he offered. It was the man making the offer. He wasn't devoted to God. Notice when God chides him, He doesn't say, Cain, your offering is unacceptable. He doesn't say the elements are unacceptable. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain's offering wasn't rejected. Cain was rejected. God is not talking about Cain's offering. He is talking about Cain's heart. He wasn't devoted to God. He was seeking his own benefit through that offering. And we see the tragic results of that when he caught his brother out in the field and he slew him because Abel had been accepted and Cain had not. Devotion for us means loving and following God through Jesus Christ, even at the cost of anything or anyone else. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 3, says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in its holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We also see in 1 Samuel 15, 22, a verse you can probably quote, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. Oh, the mighty things that God can do with a handful of devoted followers. The mighty things He can do through His devoted church. These people who returned in Ezra's day, who had suffered a century and a half drought of worship, weren't looking for a light show. They weren't looking for a band to play songs that they liked. They weren't even looking for an eloquent preacher to preach to them. They sought an encounter with God among God's people. And that is why we come into this fellowship Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That is why we make this a priority, a goal in our life. Because we are not here to hear the preaching or the singing or to see the show. We are here to have an encounter with God Himself. The problem in our American churches today is not a lack of form. 
or a lack of programs, or even at the root, a lack of true doctrine. The problem in our American churches today is the lack of 24-7, sold out, love Jesus more than anything, spirit-led, no exceptions, devotion. We have mixed our goals. We need to seek to worship Him above all things. Because worship trumps all responsibilities. In verse 36 of today's passage, we see the fulfillment of all the other obligations that the returning exiles had. They delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river. And they aided the people and the house of God. They accomplished all those tasks that they were given. And they were really important tasks. It wasn't too long before that those very neighbors, that those very leaders had been trying to sabotage the Jews in the area. And that opposition will one day come again. And the king considered it important enough to declare to all the officials in the area that he had supported Ezra in his mission to teach the law of God. And that task in carrying those edicts to all the governors and the treasurers and the, and the satraps in the area, there were very tangible benefits for God's people. We see in Ezra chapter 7 beginning in verse 21... The, the command that, I, that the king had given that says, Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the, law, by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest His wrath be upon the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it should not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. It was incredibly important that these edicts be brought down, that the command of the king be followed, but for Ezra and the returning exiles, it was a secondary task. It came after they had worshipped God. Their primary allegiance was to God and not to the king. It didn't matter what the payoff was going to be from the resources of the treasures in the area. The worship of God came first. This shouldn't surprise us. Ezra began this journey as they gathered at the Ahava Canal in worship. The goal of this entire journey for Ezra was to finally worship God in the temple that God had established and that God had caused to be rebuilt. Does God's worship take priority over everything else in your life? Can you truly say that there is nothing that would lure you away from the worship of God? Does everything else Take a back seat when you are worshiping God. 
Can we even take, keep from looking at our phones, thinking about our dinners, or recalling what happened yesterday long enough to lovingly seek Jesus Christ in worship? For Ezra's group, it had been more than 130 years since anyone in their family had made a sacrifice at the temple. It's so easy to get out of practice. I see articles from pastors all over the U.S. worried that after this year of absence from worship, because of this pestilence that we're under, many will not return at all. I'm saddened because I know it's true that many will not return. I'm not talking about the fringe people who show up once in a while. The Easter bunnies and the Christmas onlys. I'm talking about the people who were following well, who seemed to be growing in grace, who were sharing their gifts with the church and building each other up. I would be saddened because I, with, I thought the faith that I thought had such a good foundation in their lives might prove to have a shallow foundation made of sand. And I pray that this doesn't describe anyone who's hearing me today. But child of God, please hear me when I tell you. We have an advantage in worship over Ezra and his people. Worship now adheres to Jesus Christ, not the abrogated ordinances of the law. The temple worship could be stopped by captivity. The temple worship could be stopped by the destruction of the temple. But the worship of God through Jesus Christ cannot be contained by walls. Cannot be abrogated by a government cannot be dissuaded by any power on earth. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. We don't have to seek the Ark of the Covenant. What the Ark promised was Jesus Christ. God with us. The debate on the location of worship for God's people was relevant in the past. But now worship by followers of Jesus Christ has a new reality. When He was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, she remarked to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
There is nothing that can keep you from God's worship. There is nothing that should keep you from gathering with God's people in worship. And we worship Him wherever the church of God meets. In spirit and in truth. We don't bow to the east toward Jerusalem. We don't bow to the west as they did in Babylon facing the temple. We raise our hearts. We bow our heads before a God who is ever with us. Who inhabits our praise. And who remains with us forever. There is no circumstance. There is no government. There is no law. There is no other power that can separate us from the worship of our God and Christian. That is our hope. Let's pray. Our Father, where we could not make a way, You have made a way. You made a way that we could come back into communion with You in spite of the sin of our past, in spite of the fall that destroyed all of creation and made it unworthy to approach You. You invaded that very creation, made Yourself under the law so that You could redeem those who were under the law. And now our great High Priest sits not in Jerusalem, but sits at your right hand at the throne of God. Worthy is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Worthy is the Lamb to carry the prayers of your people to your ears. Worthy is the Lamb to judge all the nations. And we are made worthy only through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, our God, we worship. We bow our hearts in praise. And God, I pray that each and every day the worship of You would be the greatest goal of our lives. to come before You in anticipation of an eternity of being able to stand before You and declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It is only through the great name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we can even offer these praises, but we do so with gratitude and love. Amen.